just a quick disclaimer before we get into the episode. Um, this is not about the real men of Easy Company. This is about the show Band of Brothers. We are not disparaging the legacy and the campaigns of the actual men who fought in World War II. We are simply some friends who want to talk about Band of Brothers because it's our favorite show. And with that being said, enjoy the episode. Hey guys, so before we get started with the episode, I just want to say that this is actually a two-parter. We had so much fun recording episode three that, um, you know, we had to make it double. So this is part one, and I hope you enjoy. See you in the next one. Hello, and welcome to episode three. We are um, now on to Carentan, and joining me today... I have Senna. Hello. I have Maria. Hello. And I have Laura. Hello. All right. So, how is everybody today? Great. Good. Feeling good. Amazing. We're All right. Acting yeah. The time zone issues right now. Yeah. We hacked the matrix and we we figured out how we could get everyone to talk because we all have distinctly different accents. <laughs> so um yeah so this is all your guys's first time and uh being that it is i have a couple questions for you guys before we jump into things all right so we're gonna go clockwise okay <laughs> so senna who is your favorite character and why loves because he's an idiot I I, just, I love him. I, I can't fault him in anything he does. Um, and he's funny too. He's a man after my own heart. That's all I can say. Uh, clown man. We love the clown yes. man. Maria? I actually, if we're talking characters within the context of this television series, I really, really like Sobel. Because he's a great... He's the closest <laughs> thing we get to a villain that isn't a Nazi. And <laughs> what? That's a of oh my god! And I think that Nixon has a great point in episode one, where he goes on this rant about how Sobel is a genius because he brings these men together. Because the men have no reason to like each other except the fact that they get a common enemy in Sobel. Not saying anything about the real man, but as a character within the television series, I think he's really. All right, uh, Maria Ross, Stan confirmed. <laughs> Ross from Friends. <laughs> kick her off the chip. Kick her off the coat. Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to escort you out. Um, <laughs> it's nice knowing you. <laughs> you trying so hard not to yell, pivot. All right. <laughs> oh man. This is fandom oppression. Um, <laughs> I will be writing. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you gonna write? You gonna write Tom? You gonna write Tom about it? <laughs> They're bullying me. And he's gonna show up. Um, actually contact David Schwimmer, and we will do a podcast to rival this one. <laughs> no, my plans, my grand plans. All right, and Laura, Laura. Oh, my favorite. We like it. Yeah. Um. You know, uh, it's 
it's got to be Lewis Nixon. I just, that man is so cool. And I really wanted to pick someone who's not cool because it's been a whole thing in the last few years of my life that like being cool is like not the end all be all of life. But like Lewis Nixon is just so fucking cool. Oh, can we swear on this? Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're good. <laughs> Well, that's good. Like, 50% of my vocabulary would be out the window. Right? He's, like, so smart, and um, by, what, episode two, he's just not even carrying a rifle anymore. Like, I just... Yeah. Not even gonna well, that's bother. A, that's a and, good notice. I never noticed that. Yeah, like, I want to say even, like, in this episode, when him and Dick come up to uh, Blythe, like, I don't even think he's got a weapon on him. I could be wrong because it's dark and I don't have terrible night vision, but like, yeah, he's, everybody else is like at the ready and Nixon literally has papers in his hand most of the time. Nerd. Like he has just totally given up on this idea of being, of like killing people. He's just like, no, I'm the info guy. And I love that about him because that's who I would yeah. probably be in yeah. more. Yeah. I really like the fact that he wasn't even assigned to EC at that point. He was just always hanging out. With yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, obviously he's fully working for Battalion at that point and is just like, yeah, but this is my best friend. His name's Dick Winners and I love him and I will not leave him. So, get y'all oh my <laughs> There are many CEOs like him, but this one is mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a gang of cruel friends with horrible accents. <laughs> All right, um... We're gonna we're gonna round table this again. All right, Senna, what's your favorite episode? Uh um three. Karen Tam. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> Honestly, um I don't know. It I it's gonna sound terrible now, but I don't really have a favorite. I like all of them. Um but because they're so different, each episode focuses on sort of like a different thing. It, you, I find that you can't really compare them because there's something different each time that's the main focus of the episode, which is probably, I think that's what I like most about it because it's not the same thing. Um, it's always something different that's always going to grab your attention in a different way and you're going to have different views on it whether, it, whether you like it, whether you don't, whether you hate it sort of thing which is kind of what I like best about it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think, because, like, I, over time, like, the more you, a person watches it, I think different episodes become your favorite. Mm. That makes and each sense. time as well, each time you watch it, um, there's always something else that you didn't notice the first time around that you notice the second time or the third time. Um, yeah. And, it, again, you, you'll always have a different view on it than someone else as well. So... Yeah. Maria? Well, um, not to jump on the train here, but I'm, I'm kind of in the same field. Like, yeah. I think um, Band of Brothers was one of the shows that I watched it when it first came out when I was five because my parents were weird like that. And <laughs> let me watch this really like gory war show. Um, and I think over the years... I kind of stopped, this is so pretentious, I kind of stopped differentiating between different episodes. But I do really like Karen Tan, and I do really like Why We Fight, and 
the last patrol because they're they say something about the men on the screen and i like that is there a mandela effect where everyone says the last patrol but it's called the patrol is i it- think um this might be a regional thing because i've noticed that so i'm from sweden and i have hbo nordic and on hbo nordic the the episode is called the last patrol I checked this okay. like this the last time I think last night. So I think that the episode I don't know the reasoning behind this, but I think that the episode has two different names. Possibly hmm. a regional thing. Okay. A service thing. Like maybe on HBO it's called The Last Patrol and on Amazon it's called I don't know. Yeah, because um, like I was like watching it, I, I have it on Amazon and I was like, everyone says the last patrol because it is like the last patrol that they go on, but like it's just called the patrol. So I didn't know if I was like, if, if we had like just recently jumped uh, realities like that theory suggests, <laughs> but. <laughs> I do really like the idea of this being a Mandela effect thing. Um, well, can we start that with this Mandela effect? Can someone explain what the Mandela effect is? So it's like, it's like things that you thought were true is like Berenstain Bears spelling and pronunciation mm. is is different than what people expected or like um certain queen songs I think at the end of We Are the Champions um there is no of the world but like some people think there is it's just like things like that Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, makes sense. It got, it got its name because like somewhere on the internet, people discovered that there were so many people who were convinced that Nelson Mandela died in prison, like just very, oh, very yeah. convinced. But he didn't, he was released and like had his own thing after it, which is how mm. I'm gonna summarize yeah. that. But, yeah. yeah. Like a lot of people literally thought Nelson Mandela was dead and he was like, no, I'm, I'm actually right here. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. we can still hear his voice. Yeah. Or like that one, like there was this woman, I can't remember who he was, um, who like, she won an award and people quote her as having said, you like me, you really, really, really like me in her like award speech. And that's like how that moment has gone down. But in reality, she just said, I don't know what to say, you like me. And then she kind of like walked off. Yeah, and then there's like the 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 Star Wars moment of Luke, I am your father versus it's oh, no, yes. I am your father. Um, <laughs> but it's like people think that we like entered a different plane of reality or something, like a parallel universe. So that's new every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, no, it's, I think that's a regional thing. I don't know. Um, yeah, to get back to the point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because, yeah, it's definitely the just the patrol on mine, so yeah. I don't know. Then it's the patrol. Then that is also one of my favorite episodes, because it tells a narrative within a narrative. Yes. Yeah. All right. Laura, you got a favorite? Uh, I mean, it, it's the patrol. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You were on the episode. I am... A little bit older than the rest of you uh so i have like watched band of brothers like a lot of times at a lot of different stages throughout my life um and so the first time i watched it was in 2001 and i was in high school at that point um 
so my favorite episode then was uh, Bastogne because I was absolutely head over heels in love with Eugene Rowe because he's the most gorgeous man I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> Good thing to admit on the internet. Right? It's yeah, fine. we love um, it. Right? I was 15 at the point. It, it's cool. Um, and then like I watched it in college and I used to love the first episode, like that idea of like camaraderie and really being able to like relationship build and like seeing these people become friends. I thought was just so cool. Um, and then I watched it in, uh, you know, college and that, uh, when, Lipton is like he was a bad leader not because he made bad decisions but made no decisions and like that really struck me so like that became my favorite episode but nowadays like I although Webster narrating the patrol drives me insane um I love that episode like I just the way that everybody looks at each other in that episode like they have been through hell and back and they all know it and that like brotherhood, you can just see it throughout the whole episode. Like all of the scenes when Jackson looks at Liebgott and like Liebgott looks back at him, like they have, they all just have this underlying uh, communication level that is unparalleled in any of the other episodes. I just, I like love the patrol. Yeah. So you, and you and here. Maria, yeah, you and Maria kind of answered the last question, which is, what brought you to the show. So Senna, you want to throw it out there? I actually don't know. Um, I think um, it must have been a couple, probably about three or four years back. Um, we, we, on the way back of our summer holiday, because um, we would go in the camper van and we'd drive down through France into Spain and come back up again. Um, we I think on the last few days before we came back, we went to the American cemetery to Omaha, is it? Yeah, um, in Normandy. And my dad has always made sure that, like, we were like, he's always made sure that we remembered all of the war, what happened, why it happened, and all of that. So, obviously, it's an important thing. Everyone needs to learn it, everyone should learn from it and just know it so i think he told us about it while we're at the cemetery and i was like oh okay it sounds cool and i think i watched it when i came back and i became obsessed um i think that was it i don't really remember but it makes sense in my head <laughs> this is one of those shows where like once you you watch it you love it and you never stop loving it mm. yeah. Like, it's very easy to, like, stay completely in tune with it. Absolutely. And that's just, like, one thing I For me, it was what got me started on, like, this very weird route that ended up choosing the path that I want to take in life. So, I mean, it's definitely, like, an impactful thing. Um, And it's told in a way that really makes you empathize with the people in it. In this weird way that's also not glamorizing which i adore quite a lot yeah but i'm just saying to like still have the to still have the relevancy like 20 years on yeah 
that's, I think, a really, really incredible benchmark for a show to reach, especially one that's limited in its, like, series length. Yeah. I mean, how many shows do you know of that's bridged the generational gap? Right. Yeah. Maybe it'll be longer once they release this 25 extra hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are we going to get started on the 20, 25 extra hours already? Is, is that it? Release the footage, sir. <laughs> release it. I will, again, I told you this in the first episode. You want to you wanna email link? I can give you my Gmail. You can just send me a Google Doc with all of it. I don't even, I don't need it on a disk. Just give me a link. I feel like we've stepped into something that saw has I will sign an NDA. a lot about. I will sign an NDA, exactly. I will, you know, whatever you need me to do, I won't share it. It can just be for me. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> to the point, we're discussing Karen today. Right? Yes. We are? <laughs> we are. I think so. Yeah, maybe if we get there. Um, so this one, um, starts, we are reaching the end of Easy's campaign in Normandy and their participation in that operation. Did that rhyme? Can I call that a rhyme? It's a slant rhyme. I'll give it to you. Yeah. All right. Um, their participation in the allied invasion of Europe and we, from the first moment, see that we are going to be following one specific character, uh, Private Blythe, who we have not met to this point. Um, He is a new face, and he's just standing there, staring up at the sun. It's been two days, two, three days since they landed, and has yet to find his unit. And it is actually very interesting. We were talking before we started recording about how, like, they almost seemed unsure if, if it was him. Because we see Talbert, uh, Shifty, and Smokey come up behind him. And they seem, they're like, is that him? We think. Because he's mm-hmm. just been, like, off in the wilderness. They, they I guess, obviously, they're not going to know if everybody made it, if they themselves had been lost for days on end. Yes, um, but also he found a hole and fell asleep in it for two days. So same king. So no one's same seen him king. for two days at yeah. that point. Yeah, yeah. So I always hard to get found when you're sleeping in a hole. I always found that super, super, super interesting because, again, as someone mentioned before we started recording, these men apparently like knew each other well enough to know each other's shadow or something like that um and it's always harped on about the bond they have to each other and then we're introduced to this character Blythe who is unknown to the audience and it kind of feels like as we're seeing the war through his eyes so is easy in this weird way because they're addressing him like they're not sure that he's one of them mm-hmm. and considering the thing that happens next where for example he says when they ask what he's been doing, he says, oh, I've been trying to find the easy. Well, actually, you've been sleeping in a ditch. But <laughs> it's, it's kind of t- tip-tattering at this 
unsureness of what's going on, who am I, where am I, what's happening? And I think that's really interesting. And what's, you know, I guess it is easier in like Talbert, Shifty and Smokey's case when you land together and you find each other, you can find another unit quick enough because they mentioned that they had been fighting with the 502nd, I believe. And yeah. he's just been like asleep, which yeah, I mean, same, same. I can't even say I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't do that too. To that. I'd go into some elite troop training for two years and then fall asleep at the dawn of battle. Um, yeah, so then they do eventually find easy, like a couple hours later, I'm assuming, by the way that the sun is positioned. Um, and he's not really welcome backed, welcomed back. Like you see like Talbert getting like the pats on the back and everyone's like, oh, smoky, oh, shifty. And like Liebgott and Talbert compare their flags that they got. Well, he got a piece of the parachute, but like Liebgott got a Nazi flag, like Blythe just sort of sits down next to Percante and has a really awkward conversation. Oh, about about watches that are still taken? Yeah. Unlike yeah. their previous Which yeah. is one of the strangest lines, uh, in my opinion, in, like, the whole show. And I don't know why, but every time Percanti says that, I'm always like, why? That they're taking unlike the previous owners. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I get it, but it's just, I don't know, it always, every time. Just, don't I've say never it, seen that he says it. I've never seen someone assert their dominance like that in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Actually. Blythe, <laughs> like, clearly we don't know the whole story behind Blythe yet at this point. But the difference between the two of them is so stark. Mm. Because we have Blythe, who is scared, who is overwhelmed, who has kind of just been off doing his own thing, and no one really knows who he is. And then he meets Pecante, who's like, yeah, I've been looting dead bodies. Right. It's no big deal. I've just been killing people and stealing their watches. Do you have anything to trade for them? And Blythe just kind of sitting there like... No. Okay. Oh, you meant to react to that. <laughs> yeah. And then you, at the same time, you have Lieb, who's also been doing some looting. I Like, we're introduced to this idea of the people who have adapted and the people who haven't. Yeah. The situation. Yeah. It is... It kind of makes... And this is the first time... In a series of times, I wonder, I'm like, how did this guy make it through the training? How did he not gain the mental, um, not fortitude? How did, he, how did he not toughen himself enough to the point where, like, these guys are, like, just blocking off their mind and they're just going for it and he's, like, struggling for days on end? Yes. Mm. I mean, going through training with an officer like Sobel, who seems very, very, very... I mean, he's not a, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down kind of guy. He's more like, you know, I'm going to beat you until you agree to do whatever I say. I wonder how that character flies under the radar for two years. Yeah. In order to yeah. end up in a place where he breaks immediately. Mm. Especially after watching Sobel with Smokey Gordon, right? Yeah. yeah, just like constant, like yeah. How did like how did Blythe get through that? But then again, maybe he's incredibly physically fit and very yeah. good when it's not. And just cried into his pillow every night, like he did yeah. it. Like yeah, 
And I mean, I mean, like, he has the dissociative thing down, I guess. Yeah. Um, but this is also why I always like this episode because it kind of pinpoints like Blythe. I think really, if we're asking the question, "Who in Band of Brothers are you?" the answer to all of us is going to be Blythe. Yeah. Mm. Because we we would be the people who would fall into that, like literally fall into it. Haha! I made a pun. I'm funny <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> We would be the people who fell into war and broke, like snapped. Yeah. Like that is the difference between a soldier and a normal person, is that a soldier can deal with these things and a person, like just your average guy on the street, can't. It also sort of introduces you to the the first real instance of mental fragility in the yeah. show because to this point you are made to believe like because the first couple episodes sort of followed dick moore who is this impervious leader and who seems to have this like incredible strength to lead and then we're like oh but on the opposite end of that spectrum we have someone who can't handle it just that flat out that's all there is to it um yeah, exactly. I mean, the closest thing we get to someone, quote unquote, not being able to handle it, I think is in episode one, where there's this one guy who refuses Point. to change into his PT gear. Yeah. And yeah. he's just out immediately. He just doesn't make yeah. it through. Mm. So um, this is what happens when that uh, fragility makes it into the war. Yeah. This is what you yeah. get. And I think this is what they were all nervous about with Sobel is that what if you have a Blythe for like your CO? Yeah. What if, what if Albert Blythe became your CO and was in charge of your entire, you know, platoon or your whole company and couldn't function? Yeah. Well, they did, didn't they? With Dyke. Yeah. 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 Mm. We see that scenario play out where you have this leader who doesn't take decisions, which is kind of where Blythe is at the beginning. He's just kind of waltzing around doing like, if someone says, go here, do this, do that, he does it, but he has no own initiative. Mm. Yeah. Um, So then we are introduced to my probably favorite part of this episode. And that's edgy Harry Welsh. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a treat. Because, oh. you know, he, he throws back a swig of whatever's in his canteen, and he's like, let's fucking go. <laughs> let's no fucking playing go. grab Fanny with the man in front of you, Luz. Yeah. But also, also, this was brought up before. He's the only sort of, um, sort of officer who knows Blythe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's the only one who seems to recognize him, um, which I think is a really good... I like the contrast between, is that Blythe? Is that our guy from our first platoon? Like, from our first platoon? Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's him. Hey, let's go. And then you meet Harry, who's like, it's good to see you. Like, like yeah. not only knowing who he is, but also appearing to care for him, which is, like, another... Especially someone like Harry, who did join closer to their leaving for Europe. 
Yeah. So he had he had even less time with him. I mean, granted, like they had like a whole last year in England before, but um, yeah, there was like a break. Yeah. I wonder if Welsh, like this is pure speculation, both in real life and in the context of the of the show. But if Welsh, as an officer who came in late, kind of decided to focus on the guys who seemed to be kind of outside the gang, if you understand yeah. what I mean. Yeah. yeah, and Welsh is kind of a fuck up. Like he, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, he got busted back to private. What, like six times? Yeah, <laughs> he had he had himself a little time. And also is a lush. Like I think maybe he saw some sort of kindred spirit, maybe in like Albert mm. Bly, who also mm. had That's no true. idea what. Yeah. Um, it would make sense as well with him, with him being so new to the company as well granted you said like they had a year and everything but these guys had known each other properly been in the same unit for like two years three years so Blythe kind of looking out for like the outsider of the group would make sense with him being one of the outsiders as well so it would make sense mm. yeah yeah mm -hmm. for sure and that's I'm like basing that entirely on leaders that I've met through my life who have come in late and kind of decided that okay well I'm gonna make my ragtag gang of outsiders. Mm. I also like that this kind of introduces the idea of the officer in this episode like in the context of this episode like this is the first time we see an officer and we see a man who is kind of insane possibly drunk but also knows his men. Yeah. Like, mm. He knows why he knows loves he knows that Luz is the clown. He knows that he can make a joke about Luz playing grab fanning with the man in front of him. Um, and they trust that. Also, who will take him from? Like, he knows he's a good guy. You, um, you sort of, I guess, also see with, like you were saying, the idea of the officer in this episode, how they're under probably a ton more pressure. Yeah. Like, at that point in time, especially since, like, they, like Les said, three days and three nights of hard fighting, but, like, they probably realize, oh, no, it's going to be longer. We're going to yeah. be, we're going to be in front longer. We're not being transferred back anytime soon. So yeah. that's probably, like, a worry in his head. It's, like, how long do I have to keep these men contained? Yeah. yeah. On the other hand, Harry's carrying around his reserve chute knowing that he's gonna get back to England to send it back to Kitty so like on the other hand he's this like hardened kind of it's all a game but he also has this other side to him that's like so hopeful yeah uh, yeah which I think is probably why in this episode at least Harry's just my I, I love him in this episode he's, he just makes the yeah. whole episode He's on, he's all over the place. Yeah. yeah. It makes it almost like two separate people, almost like you've got the Lieutenant Welsh that's like um, keeping his men's morale up, trying to keep them sane whilst being on the line when they know full well they're not going to be going anywhere different anytime soon. But you've also got the Harry side of it who wants to get back the kitty, who wants to just leave it all completely, even though he knows he's not going anywhere. He still has that hope that he, he is going to go back to England and then obviously send it on to Kitty and everything. 
Yeah, and also that Kitty is going to be waiting for him for however long this ends up lasting. Like, they're having the discussion of Berlin by Christmas, and there are people who are like, yeah, we're going to do that. And then there are people who are like, no, no fucking way. Um, And then you, it's kind of like the question of what is life back home? What are we going to do there? What's happening? You know? Um, And also, like, the idea of not only are we going to be fighting, but this episode kind of introduces the idea that we're always going to be on the front lines. We're not just going to be fighting. We're going to be the guy. We're the guy they send, guys they send to pave the way for the tanks. Because that's what's happening in this scene. They're going into quarantine to pave the way so that the tank units can get there. And it's like, we're going in before the Panzer squad. Like, this is bad. We're going to be in it. Yeah. So then Uh, they do... What were you gonna say, Laura? Oh, I um the in in that sort of same theme um when Prakani and Laz are talking and Prakani's like, why is it always Easy Company? Like we are the fifth of nine companies and they've always got us either at the front or exposed on the side, right? And this yeah um coming from like an anthropological background, this almost idea of like myth making about their identity that like Easy Company was like the best of the best of the paratroopers that like the entire division like relied on easy company even standing in that hedgerow when like Mm -hmm. uh, dog and fox company end up retreating and like easy holds the line um it's like this really interesting sort of building of like this myth of easy company that really happens in this episode yeah and but, I mean, but before they even um, before they even get to the hedgerow, they have to get to Carentan first. And um, they, you know, they just they keep losing that damn F company. They keep, yeah. they, keep they keep going on their own, doing their thing. Yeah, and that, that's another thing. Um, if we're talking about officers and the concept of the officer, um, that's what I think Winter says when they lose F Company, like, we, lo- we lost F Company again, yeah, we did, we lost F Company again, yeah, this is about yeah. crapping out on their training. And so we're introduced to the concept of the officer in action. And yeah. like, who are they? What are they? What are they expected to do as opposed to a soldier? Like, it's okay for Blythe to kind of just be bumbling about and be this scaredy little cat man. Um, but it's not okay for an officer to do that. Yeah. Um, so they do send, I believe it's Hubler yeah. and yeah. Blythe into the woods, and um, that dude comes out of the shadows, just like, yeah. where y'all been? Where the fuck have you been, asshole? <laughs> you were the ones who ran away from us, you yunkle. The <laughs> yunkle. Who you calling a yokel? And they picked the perfect person for that line too. Like everything. Oh man, eyes looking at two different directions. Being <laughs> <laughs> so mean to this man. What? He was mean to Blythe and Hubler. He was probably sent to go find Easy Company, and then it gets called a yokel, and they're just being mean to him for no reason. <laughs> But um, I do get this man because he, he, like, if we're t- 
talking themes of the episode, which is the thing I'm on about because I'm awful like that. Um, but I would say that the, for me, the overarching theme of this episode is the concept of the good soldier versus the bad soldier. And then in comes this yokel serial killer, McGee, who looks like he's going to murder these men in this forest. <laughs> is he a good soldier? Like, how did he get here? He's a paratrooper. He's supposed to be the best of the best. And now he's out here looking like he's going to kill these men. I, I like what you said about the good soldier versus the bad soldier, because then you mm -hmm. see Blythe sort of start this fixation when he sees a German body and he sees mm -hmm. the idol vice in his um in his thing and that's supposed to be like the penultimate uh, honor that a German soldier can get for himself on his uniform because it meant that he climbed the highest tree and mm -hmm. sort of you see Blythe you see the wheels turn and he's like well he must have been a great soldier how did he die yeah like how is he like how is he laying here dead he said, and I'm not. And I also think that's interesting if we're talking about the concept of like looting from the body, that's kind of introduced as this like, ooh, this idea of like the horrible things that crime makes men do. Like Picante is out here just straight up measuring the, 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 uh, the price of a man's life and it's how much I can trade his ticking watch for. Um, and then you have Blythe, who kind of looks at that like, oh, this is a thing of horror. And then you have Joseph Liebegott, who is in the show, a Jewish person. He steals like this example of the Nazi empire. Like, here is a Jew holding your flag, spitting on it. Like, that's, that's a moment. And then we have Blythe. And what he ends up looting from the corpse of the first man he knows for sure that he killed, he loots the proof that this was a true and good soldier. Yeah. Like, that's something to sink your teeth into. Yeah, and I... I sort of... I think about that every time I watch this episode. And that's, like, later, and I could, I could get into it more then, but um, just the fact that he's like, I'm taking this away from you because I earned it from you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then he starts acting like a true soldier. He volunteers yeah. to go first on this thing, and it kills him. Again, within the context of the show. Yeah, I was going to say, spoiler! But... Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, like, that's a, that's a thematic thing that I find really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Especially he, he doesn't take it with the first guy. He only takes it after he has finally, like, found his own yeah. uh, confidence as a soldier. Yeah. yeah. Like, during the second battle. Um, so then we get to finally sitting on the hill overlooking the town of Carantan. Yeah. And sort of assessing the situation. But they, this gets cut short because, like, snipers start firing at them and they're like oh we gotta go now mm. but um only uh the first bit luz and welsh make it down the hill and then we get the iconic line where the fuck is everybody i have no idea um moment and this is um you know the winners, the other officers, they start ushering everyone down the hill. They're like, get in there, start fighting. 
But Blythe, a running theme of him, I know we're talking about how he makes this great transition, but a running theme of him in the first half of this episode is he gets in a hole and he starts crying. Yes. Yeah. What he does, that's the Blythe move when you just lie down in a ditch and you give up. But like Winners is like, get in there. This juxtaposition of Winners versus Blythe when they are standing outside of Carentan getting mauled by a machine gun and Winters is standing in the middle of the road. Like he can hear bullets going by his ears and he is running back and forth and he's literally kicking men in the ass to get them out of these trenches. And he fully picks Blythe up by the backpack and like throws him into action. It's like a, it's like a mama. Yeah. It's like, like a mama cat when they grab the scruff of their kitten and like put mm-hmm. it somewhere. And he just flings him into battle. Like <laughs> and the imagery of ostensibly like the best of their soldiers. Yes. Yeah. If that so, is not a good soldier, then what is? Yeah. yeah. Like running through machine fire trying to get the rest of his platoon out of mm-hmm. a trench to go mm-hmm. save Luz and Harry who are now stuck in quarantine by themselves. Just, just like behind a building. Yeah. Just waiting. Because well, Les, needs, Les needs to be with the, um, with the lieutenant because he's their radio man. He's their help. Mm-hmm. Like if he, something happens to him, they have no way of reaching out to anyone. Yeah. yeah. Not unless they go on like a rescue mission to get the radio and get it into the hands of someone who also knows how to operate it. But, but, you I know, don't... Tom Hanks already made Saving Private Ryan, so... Tom Hanks <laughs> <laughs> knows how to do in the radio. I have a theory about the, about the Tom Hanks cinematic universe, but we will get to that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, but, yeah, so the... You sort of are introduced to the abilities of a lot of men during this battle. Like, this establishes Shifty as the sharpshooter. Yeah. Where they, like, just sort of, like, tell him (laughs) vaguely where to go, and he just does it, and he does it with deadly precision. Mm. Um, Yeah, I love Shifty. Shifty is amazing. Everyone loves Shifty. (laughs) Thumbs up. He gives (laughs) up. So proud of himself. He's like, and then the and then the chickens get the chickens get shot up, and he's like, "Oh fuck!" You're not allowed to love this show if you don't love Shifty. It's the only condition of actually liking (laughs) him. You don't need to know anyone else. Just know that you love Shifty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this also sort of. It established. <laughs> I'm jumping ahead in my mind already. Oh God! Um, what is this? What is? No, it like establishes. Don't. It is. A, it establishes Lipton's leadership ability in combat. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Um, and he pays the price for it <laughs> by <laughs> almost about Lipton's full pack. Is that the point? Yes. <laughs> this is this is a long preamble to talk about the fact that he had to make sure that his nuts were still there. Not him. Tab. Yeah, he was no, but he like signaled with Tab. He's like, please look, please. 
but also this is again like we um i think senna mentioned earlier like this relationship we see between harry and kitty like mm. the idea that there is this woman at home waiting for him i think in real life lipton already had children he was married i don't know if he had kids yet but he so um in the show they do this very cinematic pan over his ring finger yeah mm-hmm. but there's again like this idea of well after the war i'm gonna need my nuts <laughs> it's like i need these police <laughs> not even just after the war like these are men they need their nuts all the time okay all the time <laughs> i'm gonna need my nuts and yeah like this i'm gonna this have to disagree that he's gonna get out of this scenario and he's suddenly deathly afraid that in in this like vague idea of in the life after this like after the war um i'm gonna want to have children and we need to assure that that's still the case I'm just making a joke about balls, and Maria's like, it's <laughs> academic. <laughs> I, I, studied, I studied drama in high school. I'm insufferable. Um, <laughs> this oh, God. I love that. <laughs> I'm insufferable. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> this sounds... All right, let me... All right, so this... Uh, this that audio file and just like play it when someone goes in a rant just like i'm insufferable <laughs> that's my that's my uh, that's my bio on tinder um <laughs> it's not actually but um so this uh this battle also has one of my favorite cinematic shots because this show um i've said it before has some of the best well held up cinematic shots um that i've ever seen and one of mm-hmm. them is an action shot wherein it's just like liebgott and a german soldier just in like a stand down and he just raises his sidearm just yeah. that's just like so yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it's ah. uh it's it's actually my um it's my background so <laughs> but it's just like that just like that moment of like they stop and they stare and it's like it's you or me, and uh, it's you. So yeah, I would have loved to see. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I was done. Okay, I would have loved to see. I can't remember. I think it's the episode after this because it's the last time that Dick is actually in battle, um, where he shoots that young SS officer, mm-hmm. and it's like this recurring theme through this episode that he's kind of thinking about this boy that he killed. That's, that's five, I believe. Five, yeah. That's five, okay. Sorry, my knowledge <laughs> is not great. Again, after 19 years, mush together. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is a shitty excuse, but um, but I would love to see like a parallel between this idea of, or I guess there is a parallel in how little Lee got cares that he looks a man in the face and shoots him and mm. how very, mm-hmm. very intensely Dick cares about it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but I don't know that it's... It's assumed that, and it's said that Liebgott's, like, the most brutal soldier, but, like, there's also no mention given to how it does affect him. So you don't know if that's something that is giving him trouble in the years after the war or even maybe like Dick during the war. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
obviously. Um, but I think it's interesting that the show kind of goes with that angle, that mm -hmm. there are the sensitive guys and then there are the cold-blooded killers. Yeah. Not, to, not yeah. to jump too fast ahead, but obviously space is also one of those people. Yeah. Um, and I also want to shoot something in here while I'm thinking about it that I forgot to do earlier. But <clears throat> if we're talking a company of heroes and a company of like the legendary Easy Company of the 501st, the only other man that we hear of in like any source of reverence like this is space and he ends up joining them. Mm -hmm. that's interesting yeah it, it it sort of I know to me it sort of feels like it was mm -hmm. aligned in such a way that it was all meant to be yeah, yeah. you're not surprised when space joins easy and it, obviously this is a tv show made by Steven Spielberg he knows how to tell a story but I find that interesting nonetheless yeah it's it does sort of maybe lend to uh i don't i don't even want to call it gratuitous heroism cuz i don't think it is i think it's just they were like that you know yeah yeah and i mean also the story is told from their perspective yeah like that's obviously the way that they saw it and i think because every man is the centerpiece in his own story if you ask yeah. any world war 2 soldier like look at all the movies that have been made and TV series that have been made about the army and navy storming the beaches. Like, mm -hmm. clearly, when told from that perspective, you get the sense that these were the most important guys in the war. And then you watch Band of Brothers, and it's like, no, these were the most important guys in the war. And then you watch The Pacific, and those were the most important guys. Yeah. I think it's, um, I think it's very interesting the fact that if you if you take it down to an individual level, this has been said many times by the cast having met the guys. And even like I've noticed this in my own personal experience when I had like family, but like they don't want to talk about themselves. So like they're mm -hmm. they're becoming the centerpiece of a story through other people's perspectives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're not they're not telling about anything they did. Or if they're included in a group, but they're gonna talk about something that their friend did and they can write a story based on that person's uh, iteration of that you know I think when I was reading about like the cast and how they prepared their roles and everything I think they said if they wanted to learn about their own with the person that they were portraying they would go and ask somebody else like one of them one of mm -hmm. their friends to do it because like you said they didn't want to talk about themselves they wanted to talk about everybody else because it's like yeah it's like how like he had no choice he had no one else to go to but like how um Richard Spate Jr. learned the character of Muck exclusively through Don Malarkey. Yeah. 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 Uh, and yeah. along that same line, if you read the book, the person who gave the most, well, the two people that gave the most information for the original Band of Brothers book is Gordon and Webster. Mm -hmm. and yeah. Gordon is barely even in, I mean, he's in it, but like, he's really not one of the main characters. And I feel yeah. like a lot of that is because he always talked about everybody else. Like he never said anything about what he did. It was about what everybody else did. Um, so you have a person who is so centered in the book because 
so much of the book is like from his memory and his memoirs, Mm -hmm. but you can't even put him in the show because he barely talked about himself. Yeah. So it's like so weird. And like Webster, like they, they, they got a lot from his, his Mm -hmm. own book Mm -hmm. and that was published after his death. Yeah. And he appears in this show as, and like, it's interpreted in fandom a lot as this just kind of insufferable git. Mm. And I think it's because, because his book was published in the way it was, he's the only person ever talking in first person. Mm-hmm. He's the only person who ever talks about himself because that's the way that he was writing those books. They're basically diary entries and it's yeah. not for those to be in first person. But I think that's the reason why Webster comes off as so different from the other guys is because he's talking about himself in a place where no one else does and if he hadn't been lost at sea maybe that would not have been the case but it is now and that's a really really interesting point because he's one of the the only ones a couple of them who in a sense didn't get the chance to defend himself yeah yeah versus public opinion yeah yeah yeah, like also, him and him and Talbert, but Talbert again is a very he should have been a lot more of a major character, but that's another issue entirely. Um, I know far too little about Talbert to be able to ask questions. About there that. was Dick Winners, and a lot of them had a lot to say about Talbert. It's just the way that which it's just what Matt Leach was given and what he did with it. That you know, it was a great play character, but um, there could have been a lot more done with it. Yeah, because Tab was, like, one of Winner's favorites. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, they didn't really know where his family was, so they couldn't get more from them, and Mm. so. Yeah. It's also kind of like how, um, how Cobb is portrayed, um, Mm. because apparently, and I learned this literally just the other day, but apparently at least Webster described him as this stand-up guy who, like, everybody liked, and then in the show, he's depicted as this bitter angry man like the only times we see him is angry about something well Cobb had also been a transfer from the 82nd and he had already done jumps in Africa mm-hmm. so he had already had he had already had jump stars he I think was actually like older than Winters and yeah. Nixon and like all of his officers well, so was Liebgott Liebgott was like 30 yeah, yeah. So it's like, that's so sad Cobb had been in the military for years before yeah. he started. He, he had done a North African campaign, yeah. Yeah, I would have been bitter too. <laughs> and he never made it past private. Yeah. And then he got court, court-martialed for punching Foley in the face. Yeah, and, yeah, had, put, and had Singh said that they should have just shot him on sight. Sorry, Senna, what do you think? That's um, I think that's why people said he was so like bitter because, like you said, he'd done he'd done his like North Africa campaign. He'd done so many jumps, like he'd been in the army for so long before anybody else had come along, um, and he still hadn't been promoted. I think that's I think I can't remember off the top of my head, which is why people said he was so bitter because he knew he he'd done more than anybody else, but people still viewed him as a private still. Yeah, which but they also like they didn't put any of that in the show, which no, I thought was no. yeah. 
like, dramatization. You lose break for so hours. much in Yeah. <laughs> you lose um, so much in translation to, with yeah. the dramatization of this sort of thing. Yeah, and obviously also clearly, like, when you're structuring a show that ends up being 10 episodes long, um, there is only so much storytelling you can do before it mm -hmm. becomes a garbled mess. Yeah. Um, not to cross-pose too much, but my favorite example, if you're interested in this kind of narrative storytelling, of what happens when you try to tell every story at the same time, is to read The Golden Compass, in that book and then watch the movie mm. that's what happens when you try to tell every story at the same time yeah but to get back on track my yeah in karen's hand so we've done sorry I this is also any, right i didn't take any notes on on lipton's ball sack so i don't know if this happened before or after but the moment when Lus does not kill that family by accident. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Because Wait, was, he just going, stops and he's like. Mm. Yeah, he stops and he checks. Mm -hmm. And if we're going back to the discussion mm -hmm. of a good soldier versus a bad.